Welcome to Worth It or Worthless, a show where every couple weeks we pull a game from my own personal collection of retro games, take off our nostalgia tinted glasses, and decide is the game good by today's standards and is it worth the price of admission? We talk about what the game does well, what the game doesn't do so well, and the things that are just plain weird. I'm your host, Dan, joined as always by my friend Jordan. Jordan, what did we get into today? Today we played Perfect Dark on the Nintendo 64, which is the story of the developers taking GoldenEye 64 and making it better in literally every way. Ooh, ooh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know. You don't want to start off the podcast with facts? (laughs) Uh, uh, See, when 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 we had the GoldenEye episode... You were like, Perfect Dark's better than Goldeneye in every way. And I was like, I don't think so. No, you didn't um, just say you don't think so. You said, from the little bit of Goldeneye that I played, I had literally zero fun. That was That's a quote from you from our Goldeneye episode. <laughs> uh, I played Perfect Dark on the Nintendo 64 and the Xbox 360, which this whole, this whole conversation is going to be really interesting yeah. um, because of that. But... Um, I feel like I had about as much fun with Perfect Dark on the Nintendo 64 as I did with Goldeneye on the Nintendo 64. Interesting. Um, and so how do you improve on a garbage game? Well, uh, with another garbage game, at least by today's standards, right? What? <laughs> <laughs> really? That's your feeling about this? Wow. I did, I did not expect that. Uh, man. Well, let's just before yeah, uh, we get let's before we get into it, just <laughs> explain what Perfect Dark is for those who may not know. Uh, I think most people know what GoldenEye 007 is on the N64, but they may not know that Rare, the company who made GoldenEye, actually made another very similar game afterwards called Perfect Dark, which does not have any sort of big name license, obviously like James Bond. Mm-hmm. So they came up with their own characters and story, and they took that engine that they had created for GoldenEye and uh, expanded on it to make Perfect Dark. Yeah, I read a lot of really interesting stuff online about Perfect Dark that like they completely upgraded the engine. I think like 35% of the original GoldenEye engine was what remained intact to make this game. Yeah. Um, GoldenEye came out in 1997, uh, this game came out in May of 2000 in North America, um, and it's a spiritual successor to GoldenEye, as they kind of said. Uh, yeah, I, I like to think of it as like GoldenEye was the alpha build, and then uh, Perfect Dark is like the final product. Uh, maybe I got man, I'm still stuck up on the, like the nostalgia for GoldenEye, like I. <laughs> You After had such pl- a bad time with that game. I know, I know. I just well, listened to the episode today to like see what we thought about it. And uh, <laughs> outside of nostalgia, we didn't have a whole lot of nice things to say about it. Right. And um, I, uh, after playing this game, I begrudgingly have to agree with you that Perfect Dark is probably a better version of Goldeneye. Wow, that just means so. <laughs> I love being right, and I love when you tell me that I'm right. <laughs> it just feels so good. Twice a year when Dan tells Jordan that he's right. Oh, I'm going to savor it. I'm going to savor it. Uh, Jordan, I have some interesting uh, facts about Perfect Dark. Did you know What's that here? this game is set in the year 2023? Just three oh. years in the future. 
just three years in the future, now we know what to look forward to. So, you know, <laughs> at least by then we'll be allowed to, like, go outside of our houses and fight aliens and stuff. I know, man. Uh, the word dark was chosen for its association with the game's bleak focus on killing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why perfect? <laughs> Uh, because Joanna Dark did so well in all of her tests to get into the Carrington Institute. Oh, okay. That well. that that is why perfect. <laughs> I mean, it sounds cool. I don't know if you need to come up with an explanation for it. I mean, it just sounds cool. I never thought about it. And uh, the final fun fact I have here is that one of the most notable features of the level design is that there is a piece of cheese hidden on every campaign level. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that, and I cannot believe that that didn't come up in the trivia. Where did you I, see that? I thought it would come up in the trivia, just just the the Wikipedia rabbit hole, you know. Wow. And I I happened to I stumbled upon one of these pieces of cheese, and I didn't know what it was, and I just moved on. And then later, when I was doing my research, I was like, "Oh, that's what like, that weird yellow thing was that I couldn't pick up." Oh, okay. I was going to say, can you pick it up? That would be interesting. No, I don't think you can. But it was in kind of an awkward spot that I couldn't like walk over. So maybe you can pick it up, but I couldn't. That's that's so, so interesting. Even mm-hmm. like on like the alien spaceships, you can find a piece of cheese. Apparently. It's just hidden on every every level. So, Well, it's good to know that we're not the only species in the universe that um, <laughs> you know ferments another animal's milk and turns it into a delicious food product. <laughs> Speaking of aliens, uh, I had no idea this game was about aliens. <laughs> well, um, you should, you know, you can be forgiven for that because this game starts off and it feels a lot like James Bond. You are a, a secret agent and it's not until exactly halfway through the game, like as far as the missions are numbered, halfway through the game, you like have your first encounter with an alien and then it gets very much less like James Bond and more like halo yeah i uh i don't know i guess i just assumed perfect dark was like female james bond like the whole thing and then as this game unravels it's just like what is this weird like sci-fi thing um it was uh it was an interesting surprise yeah (laughs) i man i can't remember how far I got in this game when I was a kid. I definitely didn't beat it. I I remember getting to the alien stuff, but I didn't get super deep past that. I think that kind of like creeped me out when I was a kid. And so I never got too much past that, I don't think. So it was Mm. cool to actually play the whole game and beat the whole game. We should say that, uh, again, this is a longer game. You know, we, we cranked up our length a little bit with Super Metroid and then here took it even a bit further. I didn't look to see what my final time in this game was but uh i know that how long to beat says that this is around like nine or ten hours to beat the whole campaign i think yeah i probably would say that i put something like that into it yeah but do you want to just jump into what the game does well i think we should yeah let's just let's just jump right in and uh i i mean i've already said this but it has to be said that to me this game is the golden eye that everybody remembers, but better. Mm, interesting. Interesting. It's just, it is the superior game in literally every way. I can't think of a way that golden eye has a better experience other than the fact that it's James Bond. Like if you're a big James Bond fan, 
outside of that, though, I don't see anything that James Bond has over this game. Yeah, if I take nostalgia glasses off, I kind of have to agree with you. Um, I don't... There's one maybe caveat. This made use of the expansion pack uh, in the N64, which allowed you to turn on like higher resolution textures and stuff. And so I don't know... I found myself like when I was playing the N64 version, and we should say we played the bulk of this on on the Xbox 360 version. Yeah. But I still played the N64 version just to make sure, you know, the comparison was there. And it didn't run super well on the N64. No. So it I don't know if, if James Bond runs better. Uh it's been a while, but I I did find some some issues with the frame rate on the N64 version. Yeah, so so I played this game completely on my Xbox One with Rare Replay, and uh, I was kind of blown away. It allowed me to experience this game the way that I remembered it. Like, cause yeah, you know, when we played yeah, these yeah, games, yeah. when we played these games as kids, it was like these graphics are incredible. And so now going back and playing a game from what would you say this is two thousand? Yeah, playing a game from two thousand and having it like look not i mean it doesn't look like a 2020 game but like it was playable it did not hurt my eyes i was able to play it for long periods of time without ever being like oh this is an old game and so um having yeah. that ability to play the i don't it's not remastered i don't even know what do you call that it's it, just like it a is remastered re- okay remastered but it's not like the way that like final fantasy 7 is completely rebuilt no, that's a remake remake okay so this is just yeah. the same game but rendered at a higher quality or whatever. Yeah. In fact, Jordan, this is a Xbox One X enhanced. You can play this game in 4K. <laughs> uh, that sounds I don't have a I don't have a 4K TV, but I you know. I uh oh. I I am not like so a lot of times when we play these games, I'm like kind of done with them by the time we get to the recording part. But like yeah. I can see myself going and spending some more time with Perfect Dark over the next week or two. Yeah, I mean, to close out your first kind of point, though, I I definitely agree from like a mechanical perspective. I guess even a story perspective, the story of Goldeneye doesn't, from the game, like doesn't really make that much sense. But at least here, there's there seems to be some level of like, oh, this corporation is doing this thing and aliens and the president is a clone and (laughs) (laughs) there yeah it's interesting go complete uh, you know go destroy this alien planet like peace in the galaxy all right there's like something here but yeah i i i think i guess i begrudgingly have to agree with you that perfect dark is better than goldeneye (laughs) i mean i think it's interesting we don't have to spend a lot of time on it but just to look at some of the areas where this game took what was in GoldenEye and then obviously improved on it. And one of those has to be the different gun modes. So almost mm-hmm. every game gun in the game has a toggleable um, secondary gun mode. So, like, for example, there's a gun called the laptop gun, which is just a machine gun. It would be kind of similar to, like, the RCP-90, RPC-90. I don't even know what it's called. So, <laughs> The really fast machine gun in, in in James Bond, but this one, if you hit the toggle button, it becomes something called a sentry turret. You can throw it on a wall, and now it's like a turret gun that will automatically mm-hmm. kill people until it runs out of bullets. You have just like a normal kind of like assault rifle thing called a dragon, but if you toggle it, 
it becomes a proximity mine. You can throw it on the ground. Your opponent sees it. You know, like if I'm playing with Dan, he'll see this gun on the ground and be like, oh, look, there's a machine gun. I'll run over and pick it up. When he gets there, it explodes and kills him. Um, mm. Even when you're unarmed, which was one of my gripes with GoldenEye is that in multiplayer, you start without a gun. You also start in perfect dark without a gun in multiplayer mode. But if you toggle instead of punching, now you can disarm. And so if you sneak up behind somebody or even just run straight up to them, you're not just trying to punch them while they're shooting you. If you use that disarm, you punch them, steal their gun. Now they don't have a gun and you can shoot them. And it's just like... Every gun in the game has something like that where you can toggle it to a secondary mode and it just adds a whole lot. It's basically like it doubles the amount of guns in the game. Yeah, I did really enjoy the secondary fire mode on a lot of the guns. Um, Some of them, it doesn't really, it's completely optional for the most part. Yeah. Like you don't really have to do it, but it adds a nice variety. Like the grenade launcher turns into like sticky wall mines for a secondary yeah. fire. Yeah. Um but but yeah, it's just it's a nice feature to have in the game. Also with the guns, you have like your normal array of like human weapons. There's even like we realized pretty much every like the the majority of the main guns from GoldenEye are all in this game which is slightly different names and if you're playing in multiplayer they'll be called like classic power weapons, classic automatics or whatever. It's mm-hmm. all of those uh weapon categories that were in James Bond and they just call those classic. Yeah. But then there's also a whole set of new human guns and then a even bigger set of alien guns. And it Mm -hmm. just, like, that kind of reminds me of the original Halo a little bit where you have, like, this combination of, like, earth guns, like machine guns and submachine guns and pistols and all that. But then you have them mixed right in with energy-based weapons. And, uh, like, you'll have, like, the human sniper rifle and then there's the alien sniper rifle called the Farsight. And if you go to the toggle mode of that thing, its secondary mode is, like, it can shoot through walls and it will, like, track what? down targets. Yeah, it's it's it'll it's got target locator, so it'll heat seek and find somebody all the way on the other side of the map, and then you can shoot them through, like, 15 walls and they'll die. It's incredible. <laughs> Where did you even get that gun? I didn't see that the whole time. Um, there's, like, one mission where you get the Farsight, but in multiplayer mode, if you're playing with, uh, the, like, the Perfect Dark weapons, I think it's in the Power Weapons one, so you Mm. can, uh, or it might just be, I don't know, it's in one of those categories, but it's hilarious if you're playing on the whole map and you're playing with just Farsights, because you can even pick in multiplayer which weapons you're playing with, uh, it's basically, like, who can target locate somebody all the way across the map first and shoot them before everybody else shoots you? It, <laughs> we had a lot of those kind of duels when I was a kid. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Another thing that this game had over James Bond is that in James Bond, a lot of the levels are kind of just like you progress through them and you kill the bad guys and you you do the thing whatever the thing is your objectives are for that level. But in this one you just had so many different varied types of single player levels you had stealth levels and timed levels that you had to get done in a certain period of time you had those brute force levels where you just had to go through and kill everybody you had infiltration levels um, levels where you had to rescue hostages and then it ends it the whole thing with a boss fight you don't normally get boss fights in first person shooters so that was kind of interesting too yeah, I definitely, I didn't necessarily write it down, but I appreciated the the variety of um, environments that you got to experience in this game. It's like you start off and it's like a typical James Bond thing, but then you're in like, 
Siberia or something and you're in like a snowsuit and then like later on you're in like a wetsuit and you're in like a trench coat and like all the different I think the outfits kind of represent each different environment that you found yourself in and um I really appreciated the fact that this game didn't feel like the same thing over and over again like it goes from like a a GoldenEye style like skyscraper whatever and then you're yeah. like on an alien planet or like in an alien spaceship like Halo Yep. Um, and so I think the mission variety definitely is something that, uh, I mean, I don't know that the missions mechanically feel very different from mission to mission, but the, the missions definitely do feel distinct and I appreciate that. Yeah. It gave you enough to mix it up. You kind of have some of that too with the, the multiplayer, like I mean, thinking back to like multiplayer and James Bond, you know, you we did talk about how there was a number of different modes. You know, you have like the you only live twice. You got um, license to kill where it's just one hit kills. And we were talking about how that was impressive that they had those different game types in, in GoldenEye. And then in Perfect Dark, they took that and it expanded it even more. They added a King of the Hill mode, um, a briefcase mode, which is kind of like oddball where you got points for holding on to the briefcase for a long time. Mm. Uh, there's like a hacker kind of multiplayer mode, which is basically like a defuse the bomb kind of mode. And then something called pop a cap, which is kind of like juggernaut where one person is the victim is what it calls it in perfect dark. And everybody Mm. else is trying to kill them. And the longer that that person can survive, the more points they get. And then obviously there's just death match where you can kill each other a whole bunch, but just like I was impressed in Goldeneye with the amount of different play styles they had and then in this it was just like so much more in the multiplayer i I didn't even remember all that and we basically always just played deathmatch but then um seeing that there was like king of the hill in a n64 game is kind of crazy yeah the multiplayer suite is one of the things that i have written down that the game does well uh specifically because it has golden eye weapons and maps (laughs) Um, yeah you get complex uh temple and facility but they like tongue-in-cheek call it felicity because yeah right people can't <laughs> pronounce that word correct i guess <laughs> um so the 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 360 uh, rare replay remaster of this game is like this is the closest to like an hd version of old school goldeneye that we'll ever get and so for that alone i'm like i love this multiplayer because i feel like i'm playing goldeneye right now yeah. Um, but it is like you get bots and you get a ton of maps and you get a ton of weapons and like there's so many things inside the multiplayer that are have so much more um I guess depth than the, the options uh in 007 that uh I feel like if I were to wanna play Goldeneye multiplayer, I would just be like, let's go play the three sixty version of Perfect Dark. I think that's one of the interesting things to think about is a lot of times with these old retro games, it's like, man, I would love to buy this so that I can play this with my friends. And then, you know, you get the games and it's like, how often do you actually get together with your friends to like play GoldenEye or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I love on this is I was able to boot up the combat simulator, which is what it calls multiplayer and create a multiplayer game against a bunch of bots with, and the bots aren't just like stupid random enemy ai they actually have differing levels of of like easy medium 
hard and then each bot you can set like what its personality type is so there's one mm-hmm. that yeah. is like called like the feud bot and it'll always go after the same person there's one that's the revenge bot and it'll go after whoever killed it and that just like there's i think there's like 15 different bot personality types and so you can actually play a game with four people on one system and then add eight bots you can have 12 characters playing on one map which really helps because when we talked about goldeneye and how so many of those multiplayer maps were so big like way too big for four people the ability to have between you know two to uh 12 people playing on one of those maps makes it just feel like so much more full and more like a modern multiplayer first person shooter yeah and it has online support with xbox live which we were not able to get to work, and I don't know if that's just us or if they're not supporting it anymore or what. But I think it works. I think it's just something weird with the the rare replay stuff. Because yeah. um, your Xbox Live account, like you haven't played with that account on an Xbox 360. Yeah. So I, I somehow think it, it like messed with the system in a weird way that it wouldn't normally. But um, it's there. Yeah, it's and it's great. And like for those of us who are too cheap to pay for uh, Xbox Live or whatever, you can actually just <laughs> go and kill bots to your heart's content. And I uh, I played probably like five or six of those against bots, and I was expecting just like to steamroll them all and win every match, and that was not the case. Like I I lost uh, a good number of them, and I feel like I'm pretty good at this game. So it's a good challenge. It's not just like a waste of time. I uh, I was playing a little bit of King of the Hill against bots, um, and I got double RCP nineties, oh and they go gosh. down. <laughs> they go down in like half a second. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so it gets man. a lot easier once you get the 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 right power weapons. <laughs> dual dual wielding, just one more uh, check mark in the what this game right. does better than Goldeneye. Yeah, Gold. You can dual wield in Goldeneye. What? Yeah, you can dual wield in Goldeneye. I, I don't know if you could do it in the multiplayer, but you could definitely do it in the single player campaign. I do not remember that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Learn something new. One last thing that we want to talk about as we're talking about multiplayer and stuff is there's a, a section called challenges. And the challenges start off really easy. There's 30 of them. And the first one is really just like win a multiplayer match against a single meat bot, which is like the easiest bot. And then they get progressively harder. And I remember doing these with my brother when we were kids and uh, getting stuck on some of these challenges, the higher-up ones that were just really difficult. And uh, they're just different scenario things. It'll be like win a King of the Hill match against this kind of bot or protect uh, the briefcase for five minutes against eight uh, bots or whatever. So it's just all these different challenges that you have to work your way through. And that's really interesting Like that that existed, that level of whatever in an in a N64 game. Yeah, the challenge mode. I didn't. Um, I didn't play a whole lot of the challenges. You had recommended them uh, yeah. to check out the multiplayer, but I only played like two of them, and I was kind of like, uh, "This is kind of boring." Yeah, they start out really easy. the The cool thing with the challenge mode is that as you beat them, it unlocks. So you start out with five of them. Each time you beat one, it unlocks another one, and they get progressively harder. But also, as you beat them, it unlocks additional multiplayer maps and additional. Um, characters for multiplayer, I believe, which is already just a gazillion of them. Pretty much every character and enemy in the game is unlockable. Even like all mm-hmm. of Joanna's outfits, like you said, with like the scuba suit and the Arctic 
um, gear and all of that stuff. And then you can put any head from the game mm-hmm. on any character in the game. So you could be, you know, yeah. Joanna Darks in her scuba suit with the alien's head. And <laughs> it's like, it's just really incredible the depth that they built into that multiplayer. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that I have that the game does well uh, is I, I immediately noticed that the cutscenes were better than Goldeneye. Oh, you know. <laughs> You know that I have the cutscenes written down on what this game did well. I love the cutscenes. Yeah, I think maybe okay. The cutscenes slash the story, yeah, uh, are like good in this game. They're definitely what the game does well, but <laughs> maybe not because they're actually good. Oh yeah, no, I'm. It, it's so good. I mean. <laughs> Every single level, you guys, every single level has an intro cutscene and an outro cutscene. And sometimes they're just like little tiny things of you like walking in and like it's just an establishing shot of the level. But sometimes you'll get some uh, back and forth dialogue between you and Carrington, who's the guy who's like in charge of the organization and sending you on these missions. Or maybe it'll be you Mm -hmm. and the alien who's like your co-op partner. And uh, it, it's usually some ridiculous setting. And you always feel like you're missing a big chunk of the story. Like there's always like these <laughs> gaps between where you left off. Like how did I go from where I was yeah, right. to where I am now? And so some, you got to go in just like in James Bond, how he said you have to go in, like pause the game and go in and like read through the dossier that explains your mission. Because if you mm-hmm. don't do that, you just are missing out on big chunks of the story. And in in this game, instead of looking at your watch and having it be the pause screen, there's this like weird fold out thing that comes like out of your glass. It's like a, it's kind of like a Google Glass thing that comes like out of your ear area. It's very strange. Well, speaking of the weird, like, how did we get here? Apparently, the development team just wanted to do a bunch of different environments, and then they wrote a story that tried to stitch all the environments together. Perfect. I love that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how that happened. Well, it's just like we talk about all the time in like beat 'em up games. It's like it's a beat 'em up game. You have to have an elevator level. It's like this is a yeah. this is a first person shooter. We you know, and even you even see it, like it had to have been a lot of the same guys who worked on Goldeneye. Cause it's like, oh, we had that cool snow level where you just wandered around and it was kind of sort of like an open level and you just had to like go around and find the pieces. What if we had another one that was exactly like that? It's like, <laughs> okay, let's have a snow level. So oh, yeah. Man. And they yeah, it was just you could tell that, that makes a little bit more sense now. One of the things yeah. along with that that I really loved was the voice acting, which you didn't get. Oh, gosh. I don't think there was voice <laughs> acting in GoldenEye, was there? Um, I can't remember. If there was, it wasn't very much, but there's a lot of it in this game. Like, you'll kill a random enemy or be shooting at a random enemy, and he'll be like, why me? And you're yeah. like, oh, man, yeah. why why him? Yeah, he's probably got a family. Like, I just killed <laughs> Or the, there's the little alien whose name is Elvis. It's never explained why his name is Elvis or why at some point in the game he starts wearing an American flag vest. <laughs> he's like a little stereotypical gray Martian. And, and he one... sounds exactly like Master Yoda. Exactly. I was going to say, he sounds exactly like a person trying to do an impression of Yoda, but without the like reversed sentence structure. But he sounds exactly <laughs> like Frank Oz. And so he's wearing this American flag vest and he'll yell like, kiss my alien butt. And it's like, 
What? <laughs> what is even happening? Like all of these characters just like yelling out things in the middle oh, of uh, in the middle of a, a firefight, and I loved that. Yeah, there's a whole lot of cheesy dialogue and story, and like the whole I don't know, man. Like I said, I didn't know that this game had anything to do with aliens, and I was just like, what? is happening in this game all the like who's the guy from the carrington institute who's kind of whiny all the time and you're like oh the the weapons guy yeah <laughs> oh man yeah it's like all the voice acting is terrible uh the cutscenes are standard fare but the mouths on the on the models don't move on the cutscenes. Also, there's something weird that happens in the cutscenes that is always triggering your hitbox. And so in this game, when you get shot, like, or when you shoot somebody who has a shield or whatever, there'll be like this giant rectangular <laughs> square that lights up their hitbox. And I don't know if this happened in your version, Dan, but in my version, during the cutscenes, the hitbox was always getting lit up at random times. And it's like, I don't yeah. think that's supposed to be happening. Yeah, that happened in it, on my playthrough too, and I thought it was just me. It was just a bug, but apparently <laughs> it's just the game. <laughs> no, they're like, uh, we're not gonna mess with trying to figure that out. Just ship it. Uh, well, there's there's a lot of weird stuff. Like the game, they kind of rewrote the game. It's not emulated. They like rewrote the source code, and so okay. apparently in the original version of Perfect Dark, if you run like sideways. Or like diagonally, you actually run faster. Oh! And when they fixed the game, or when they upgraded it to the 360 version, they had to like manually program that back in because apparently that tactic is essential for speed runs. Oh! Um, and so there's a lot of like weirdness that they kept in this game because they wanted it to be true to the N64 version. That's um, really interesting. Yeah. So the, those weird bugs. I don't know if they were in the N64 version, but they're here. They seem familiar <laughs> to me. Again, I haven't played this game in like almost 20 years, so I I don't remember, but they seemed kind of familiar. Yeah. All right, I got one last thing on what this game does well. Um and it's I feel like this game actually made me feel like a secret agent more so than Bond, which was one of my gripes with Bond is that I, I didn't feel like I always had all of the the tools and stuff that I needed. But in this one, um, you had those, like I said earlier, you have those like sneaky missions and infiltration and stuff. You actually have disguises. Like at certain points, you'll like steal a guy's lab coat or um, Mm -hmm. steal, uh, you'll like tranquilize a flight attendant and steal her flight attendant's uniform so you can sneak onto Air Force One. And uh, you also just have like a ton of special devices. And so you'll like realize like, oh, I need to use my my data uplink thing or my uh, IR goggles or my night vision. And there's just like all these different like tools that you might only use once in the entire game, but it's just like you felt like that special agent who had all of the tools for the job that you were being sent to do. Yeah. I definitely think that um, at least the, the N64 version, the controls and we'll get there to what the game doesn't do so well. Yeah. Um, the N64 version definitely didn't make me feel like a secret agent, but <laughs> the the 360 version absolutely did. Not only for all the gadgets and everything that you're talking about, but like you're able to just like run around and like blast guys away like really oh, easily. Yeah. The game looks really nice on the 360 version. Yeah. Um, 
And we played on agent, like the easiest difficulty. And it, it felt like you didn't have these ridiculous, like arbitrary objectives on that mode, which I really think helped me like get into this, this game a lot yeah. more. The different, um, those different, um, difficulty settings were really interesting. Like you said, we played on the easiest one just for the sake of getting through this in a reasonable amount of time. But there was definitely levels that I had to play two, three, four times just because I was figuring out like what did I have to do in order to not fail. Like sometimes if you accidentally blew something mm-hmm. up, you would you blew up the computer that you needed to complete an objective. And by like the second or third time through the level, like I knew exactly what I was supposed to do and I could like fly through the level and do everything. And that was where I really felt like the unstoppable secret agent. When I knew the level, I knew where I was going. I knew exactly what I needed to do and what I couldn't do. And uh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. And on that point, one of the things that I have written is that the missions are relatively short. And yeah. failure is less annoying as a result on the lower difficulties because it's like once you know what you're supposed to do, like you can finish a mission in under five minutes usually. Yeah, I think my average my average mission, like I saw a lot of times, was like in the low five minute areas. Once mm-hmm. I knew what I was doing, if I didn't know what I was doing and I just bungled around for a while and was trying to figure it out and managed to complete a level on the first try, like sometimes it would be up closer to like ten minutes, but uh, never like usually a crazy long period of time. Yeah, so between the short mission difficulties and like the manageable objectives, I left this game going, I want to play this on harder difficulties and explore these levels more. Yeah. And so I think it's really, it was a really good choice to keep these missions so contained because it really allows, is immersion the right word? Like, I guess, you know, like you do feel more like a secret agent, but like, I feel like I have a, a good taste in my mouth for the most part from this game due to the, the, the structure of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like all those points sort of support the fact that like this game makes you feel like a secret agent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if that made any sense. <laughs> no, I, I told as somebody who just played through it, like I totally get what you're saying. Do you have anything else that you want to say about what this game did? Well, uh, one note on the N64 version, uh, okay. it has g- good video options. Like there's a wide or a full screen or like a cinematic, uh, mm-hmm. option. And then you can actually play it in 16 by nine proper widescreen with like high resolution textures. Um, the game runs worse when you play with high res- resolution textures, <laughs> but nonetheless, in a modern setting, it's nice to actually be able to play the game in widescreen. It was just yeah. one of the like tiny things that I noticed that I'm like, oh yeah, that's appreciated. Um, a little bit ahead of its time for a game that came out in 2000. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other than that, I just, I have written down that it just looks like a really, really nice HD version of an N64 game on the the 360 version. Yeah. Like the textures literally just look like crystal clear, like low resolution textures. Kind of like if you play an original Xbox game on the Xbox One, how it's just like everything is crystal clear. Like that's what Perfect Dark felt like to me was like, oh, this is just a really, this is Perfect Dark how you remember it. Yep. It maintains um, the charm while upgrading it to being playable and not giving you a headache. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. We'll get there though. Uh, but that is all that I have that the game does well. 
So right. why don't we move on to what the game doesn't do so well? Sounds good. Give me what's like number one on your list of gripes about what this game doesn't do well. Uh, I felt like as I was getting acclimated to this game, there's not enough hand-holding. Um, <laughs> All right. Like uh, when I first started this game, I was like, I have no idea what the heck I'm supposed to be doing, where the heck I'm supposed to be going. And as I got further and further into the missions and stuff like that, because I'm not as uh, I'm trying to figure this out without looking stuff up. I know yeah. you're like, what do I do? I'm just going to go look it up. Well, but OK, I'm, I only did that a couple times. Uh, not necess- but I'm saying you're you're faster to go do that than I am. Oh, absolutely. Because I'm like. All right, I'm tearing apart this game from like a game design perspective. Like, <laughs> like I want to get mad at the developers for like poorly designing this game because like I shouldn't need to look something up. Is my opinion sometimes. Yeah. And so when I started this game, I was like, "This is really annoying." I'm in this first mission. I just punched this lady out. I got her necklace. I don't know why I have her necklace because I was playing on agent, and you need that for an objective on the harder difficulties. But it doesn't tell you that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But as I progressed through this game more and more, I started to understand like how it was designed a bit more. Like, oh, I do really need to like go into the pause menu and look at my objectives and see what kind of hints are there. And like, yep. oh, using my IR scanner, I can figure out where the hole in the wall is supposed to be blown. Like, yeah, it's a little bit less um, annoying the the longer you play it and sometimes it'll be like it'll give you a hint like oh the thing you're looking for is on this floor or like you know the 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 basement elevator should be around here somewhere like occasionally it gives you a little bit of something yeah but it doesn't mark things on your map it doesn't really like uh another point that i have is that you get lost a lot and i think that that's kind of a result of the lack of hand holding or sort of the the somewhat cryptic objectives like you have explosives in your inventory and you're supposed to use them on a computer that's telling you you don't have access to the computer like how would you know that you're supposed to use the explosives on random computer like it's just it's one of those things where i feel like a big weakness of this game that kind of holds it back a little bit is just the the lack of hand holding which was pretty normal for the time but Nowadays, it just feels bad. So your number one gripe is also my number one gripe. And I feel like waypoints or even just a map for each level would help a ton. And those are things that you actually do get in certain levels. So like in the level where you have to, in that big snowy level where you have to find the president and assassinate the president's clone, you have an item that's called like president locator. And having (laughs) something like that for other objectives would have been so nice. Just being able to know like, am I even in the right area? And especially playing on agent, there's whole areas of some of these levels that you aren't really supposed to be in if you're not in Mm -hmm. doing like the super agent or whatever objectives and so like i could be completely lost in an area that i don't even need to be in because i don't have either a full level map or a waypoint or a radar and these are all things that like the game does give you at certain points but not often enough and i I felt like you like where man it would have taken this good experience and made it even better if you had those things yeah i love the like president like scanner or whatever the thing was and then like later on in the last mission you have this like 
piece of technology that finds these alien artifacts that you're supposed to mark. Oh, the obelisks? Like... <laughs> you don't have an obelisk locator on you at all time? And it wasn't even called anything that would have like let you know. <laughs> it was called like the R tracker. Like, what do you mean yeah, R yeah. tracker? What what is yeah. R and why am I tracking it? This is the obelisk finder. <laughs> Just call it the obelisk finder. Uh, which I could only find four out of the five obelisks. They change every time you do that stupid mission. Oh, which I guess that makes so much more sense. I restarted <laughs> that a couple of times and I was like, what is even going on? Yeah, I guess we could go there now. Um, the last mission, uh, kind of left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Really? Uh, yeah. Cause so there's five different pillars. You have to mark three of them and the three that you have to mark changes every time you restart the mission. Wow. Uh, so I got that mission took me like way longer than it should have because I was not, I wasn't really like trying to like exactly look it up, and so I got through it a couple times, and got to the final boss and died after fighting him for like I don't know ten minutes. Like you got to read the dossier; it tells you exactly <laughs> what to do. No, no, the dossier didn't tell you how to assassinate the the leader alien guy it doesn't tell you on objective three but if you go up to the top where it gives you a rundown elvis tells you that there's an artifact in the temple that needs to be destroyed before you can deliver the final blow (laughs) it says like exactly that it does tell you but it's not in objective three it's up at the top of the mission in elvis's little section wow nonetheless i have a bad taste in my mouth because it changed (laughs) Sounds like you need to read more. Apparently I do. You got to love a good video game that forces you to read a novel's worth of information. Gosh. So yeah, the final boss fight, I'm like shooting him forever and running out of ammo. And then like, I finally looked it up online that you had to like shoot him and then shoot the statue behind him. Spoilers. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) You'll thank me when you play it. (laughs) How did you not realize that the statue had its own yellow glowing hitbox? Because when I'm shooting the the guy, he's like glowing red sometimes and then glowing green sometimes. So I'm like, maybe he's taking damage when he's the hitbox is red. Like oh. I didn't know why anything was anything. And then to make it worse, the auto aim only goes after the boss. So I assume that if there was something else I was supposed to shoot, the auto aim would have pulled the the reticle towards it. Yeah, that was a little bit annoying that you had to automatically switch your aim at the statue. And so these missions that went from being, you know, like 15 to 20 minutes to figure out everything. And then like, once you figure out everything less than five minutes, I spent probably over an hour on this last mission. And it was like, whoa, just one of those things where I was like, I just, I'm not happy right now. I've had a great time with this game. I learned to love perfect dark. We had this great port of the 360 version where I can like appreciate this game from a modern perspective and it's like uh why did why perfect dark i wanted to you, like you so much and you needed just, the prima guide dan you needed the prima guide apparently so yeah anyways and i still could never find the fifth obelisk which really really irritated me because i had to restart the mission sometimes based on what obelisks it gave me <laughs> that's that's too funny i didn't even realize that but i think i only played that level two times so well, congratulations, Jordan. Well, I'm the so first prou- time I'm so proud of you. The first time when I was going down the ladder, I fell into a giant hole and had to start over again. So that was cool. <laughs> um, 
so my second thing of what this game does poorly is I do like the story, but it is not easy to follow. It is kind of funny to me, which is why we kind of mentioned it in the in the what it does well section. But it is pretty much nonsensical at times. The story, you know, I watched every single cutscene and I read every mission briefing, unlike Dan, <laughs> and I still didn't really understand what was going on or like who these people were. Like at the end, you end up in like a jail cell with Cassandra on like this alien ship, and you're like, oh yeah, remember that lady from the first uh, mission who like kind of was sort of involved in what was happening? Yeah, apparently she's like a big player who's now going to sacrifice her life for you. It's like it was very confusing <laughs> to me at times and I was just like, "What? What's going on here?" But now that you explained it to me that they just wanted to have all of these cool levels and then come up with like a rough story to time together, that bothers me less. Um, but it is something to be said of like, don't go into this trying to like be like, oh, I can't wait to figure out all about the Carrington Institute and the lore surrounding like this British version of the men in black who exist outside of government control, but then also sometimes work with the United States government, even though they're British. <laughs> yeah. I uh, yeah. From the game itself, the story is completely ridiculous and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But after uh, when I was doing research, I read like the Wikipedia like <laughs> paragraph about what happens and I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." It's like Carrington Institute and like Datadyne are like the opposite factions and like the Mayan aliens versus like the what are they called? The other Skadar, the Skadar aliens. There's like these two aliens that are warring and like the Carrington Institute is aligned with like the standard gray, like Mayan aliens. And like the data Datadyne Corporation is like working with the Skidar to uh to get to this deep sea submarine. But you you don't like really get that info. Like it just drops you into the first mission. Like the <laughs> the game's opening cutscene is basically the first level's opening cutscene. And you, you don't get until, like, way, way late in the game when Carrington is like, this is why I founded the Carrington Institute, to watch humanity's first contact with aliens. And it's like, what do you mean? Like, you are already in contact <laughs> with aliens. And what you founded the Carrington Institute? I thought this was, like, a government agency. It was just very bizarre. Uh, yeah, the whole thing is weird. Like, at the end of the first mission, you find a scientist who's, like, actually just an AI laptop. And you're like, what? Yeah, what? With like, he's got a male voice, but like woman's eyes. It's very weird. And, and then like later on, like you, he has like access to like the super weapon or something. And he like has to stay and sacrifice himself. The whole thing yeah. is bizarre, man. The whole thing is just so weird. Um, <laughs> But I still think, if uh, I don't know. It's yeah, I'm like, I'm like I I feel bad that I put this in the bad thing because it's like one of those so bad that it's good kind of Yeah, things. yeah. Yeah, and I think we touched on it in what the game does well is like the the cheesy terrible story is so bad that it is good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my uh my kind of last thing would be even though I played the the HD version on Xbox or whatever, there were still graphic things that kind of irked me. And I'm sure you'll have a lot more to say about the N64 version's graphics. But even in this like remastered version, there was parts that were just way too dark, 
or way too bright. Like every single light bulb in this game has like insane lens flare. Like they like multiplied the lens flare too many times. There was like something weird going on. So you're either always being blinded or way too dark and you're having to like pull out the night vision goggles and then you step around a corner and now it's super bright and you got to take off the night vision goggles and you can kind of try to solve that by using your IR goggles, which uh, work okay unless it's super dark. And then, so I just like felt like the that was like the one thing that kind of bugged me especially in the early levels it was really bad and then as the game went on I don't know if I got used to it or if it was just like less terrible but it was something that just like was weird even in an updated version that graphically was bugging me yeah the lights can definitely like get blown out at times that is one of the things that I have written down Uh, I didn't notice that so much on the N64 version but my experience with the the HD remaster, like I didn't think it was ever too dark. It could have been TV settings. Like I tend to have like brighter settings on my TV. Yeah, um, see, I'm I'm not like a pro gamer, so I I think I just have my <laughs> my TV is just set on whatever it's set on. As long as it's not on true motion or like whatever the fake oh, high frame rate thing is, then yeah. I'm good. You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, but the N64 version, like. When I started it, I couldn't even see the first enemy. Like, it was just so <laughs> dark. And, man, the I guess I, touching on what the N64 version just doesn't do well, like, the frame rate was terrible. Um, I literally played two N6, the first two missions on N64, probably played for 15 minutes, and my eyes hurt. Yeah, it's, man, I don't know what it is with this game and with GoldenEye, but, like, we're not exaggerating. When we had that party in December to have a bunch of people come play Goldeneye, pretty much every single person there like left with a migraine or at least like a headache. Yeah. And we're talking about how their eyes felt so strained and it's like Mm. we were used to it or we weren't playing it on flat screens or whatever, but it's, it's rough to go back to now. Yeah. Maybe that just is it is a flat screen TVs like, you notice, or maybe it's just modern games don't have the same kind of like terrible frame rate that Nintendo 64 games maybe had. I don't know. I, I remember the, we did have one of our N64 set up on a low resolution projector. And that was by far the, the least straining on your eyes. I don't know if it was yeah. because it wasn't on a flat screen, but man, if you don't have a, a CRT laying around just for gaming you're not going to have a great time (laughs) trying to play some of these uh older n64 games yeah and we're not even like frame rate snobs no no not at all you know it's you know it's bad when we bring up the frame rate on a game (laughs) yeah we almost never talk about that unless it's like on an nes game where you're just like flickering so hard oh yeah 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 but right there was just something about looking at this game where it it physically like it was like trying to read in a room that's too dark or something. Like it, it hurt <laughs> my a, eyes. That's a great uh, analogy, Dan. I like that. <laughs> but as far as the 360 version goes, the only graphical complaint or any complaint from a technical perspective was that the lighting is just outright blown out at times. Yeah. Which um, you can solve by shooting out the lights if you had enough bullets. <laughs> you know what I noticed, though, is that I didn't notice any problems with parts of the multiplayer maps i didn't notice anything with the multiplayer maps being too dark or too light like it seemed like they really had nailed down the 
all of this, the graphics on the multiplayer mode. I'm sure they realized like that's really what people play these games for is the multiplayer mode. I didn't spend a lot of time in the multiplayer modes, but I guess, yeah, I didn't notice like anything bad. The funny thing about the multiplayer maps that I saw, at least with the GoldenEye maps, was that they kind of look like Halo Forge maps where they're like, yeah. they didn't look like the originals. They look like they were built out of extra assets or something. Well, that's um, actually something that I had in the what this game does well, and I didn't, we didn't really talk about it, but the fact that all of these multiplayer maps, and there's 13 of them, so you have the three from GoldenEye and then 10 original Perfect Dark maps, and unlike GoldenEye, where sometimes they would just reuse parts of the single-player missions, all of these maps were made, or I don't know this for a fact, but it, they just all seem like they were made specifically for multiplayer, and mm. they'll have like... Um, I was playing Capture the Flag in one of the levels. I don't remember the name because I just haven't played it enough to know the levels by name. But uh, they had the flags in a room that would originally, if it was like a a solo mission, only have one entrance to it, which is terrible for Capture the Flag because then you can just camp around the door and kill anyone. But they Mm -hmm. added this secondary like hole in the ground that you could come in and leave through. And it was just like you could tell that they had put thought into like what would make these strategically fun multiplayer maps rather than just like clipping out sections of the single player mode. And I thought that was, was awesome. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I only played a couple of the challenges and then I played like all three GoldenEye maps. So I only saw like five of the total maps, Yeah, but the perfect dark maps definitely didn't seem to be something from the single player campaign. Um, so I don't know if they're all that way, but yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, like you said, they 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 used pieces like um, settings or assets or whatever, but they were all like created as multiplayer maps. Mm-hmm. All right, I don't have anything else to say bad about the game. Do you got you got more? Yeah, I got one more thing. Uh, the hard aiming feels terrible in this game. Um, like when what you have to sni- when you have to like zoom in to snipe. Uh, there's oh. a mission where you have to snipe to get. You have to like save somebody and you start off with a sniper rifle and you have to line up like two shots. And it just doesn't feel right when you kind of zoom in and like have to manually aim in this game. The auto aim in this game does it a lot of favors. Yeah. I was about to say, I feel like part of that is that the auto aim is so hardcore uh, that when you have to actually aim for yourself, you're like, oh, shoot. this. (laughs) But you're right. It doesn't feel super fluid. Uh, when you're in the sniping or where you're aiming for yourself, but the game does auto aim pretty much right at the chest of any enemy that comes near you, which I think is interesting because at the end of each mission, it'll break down how many headshots, body shots, limb shots that you got. And so you can like tell uh, how much were you relying on the auto aim and how much were you like manually aiming up and going for the headshots yourself. But yeah, that was, I agree with you that that didn't feel good when you were using the the human sniper rifle. Now, the alien sniper rifle that automatically aims at people for you, I'm all about that one. I think I read that the uh, the harder difficulties reduce some of the auto-aim. Oh. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but I think that I read that the, the auto-aim is less generous the harder <laughs> that you <laughs> crank up the difficulty, so... Anyways, yeah, anytime you have to like stop and zoom in, it's not going to feel very good. No. It just doesn't feel right. There's something about it. It's like it, it either moves too fast or like the dead zone's too big and you can't like quite line it up the way you want to. 
I found myself like shooting right past people's heads because like the characters kind of like move around jerkily too. And so like you would get it lined up right on their head and then they would like pivot and turn a different direction and then I would shoot right past their ear. Or sometimes they get stuck on the environment and just run into a wall. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, my friend, that is all I have. All right. Well, let's move on to our next section. All right. Well, you ready? You ready to talk about burritos? Uh, I'm always ready to talk about burritos. Ain't that the truth? Uh, what would you? How many trips to Kidoba <laughs> <laughs> is the experience uh, that you just had? Uh, uh, how much would you pay for the experience you just had with uh, with Perfect Dark? Yeah. So, man, with if we're talking about the the remastered version on Xbox, I mean, I put like probably ten ish hours over, you know, into that. And I had a good time. Like, I had a good time with Super Metroid, but I had an even better time with this, partially because I just love first-person shooters and partially because, you know, there is nostalgia involved. I've played this game a lot. Um, But, man, I had a good time. I would go back and play this game some more. I probably will go back and play this game some more. Mm. And so I would be more in, like, the $15 to $20 range on on the rare replay version of this. Um, Absolutely, yeah. On the N64 version, I'm not really interested. No. <laughs> no dollars on the N64 version. Uh, it's just like, why would you sign up to play the worst version of this? It's, it's it's the same exact philosophy I have with why would you play GoldenEye when Perfect Dark exists? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, for me, I think the N64 version... Uh, it's bad, man. It's bad by today's standards. Like, I'm sorry. I just, I don't want to pay anything for the experience that I had with the N64 version. All right. Well, I want to, I kind of want to push back on you on this because you said, <laughs> you said without nostalgia, you would pay five to six dollars for Goldeneye. It, okay. And you're saying you wouldn't pay anything for the N64 version of this? No. Well, here's the thing with the N64 version, the controls. And I guess I forgot to touch on this. Maybe I just forgot to write it down, but the controls are terrible. I mean, they're terrible. Yeah. I mean, dual, dual analog is absolutely a game changer. So like the, the HD version, you can actually like move the way you want to move. You can strafe how you want to strafe and you can aim with the right analog stick. The controls in the N64 version, I felt like the game moved way too fast and I couldn't aim at what I was wanted to aim at. And it just, it left me, my eyes hurting. Like it just, I don't know. There's something about it where I'm like, I don't want to play this game on N64 ever again. It's like, it's the visually it's too dark. Um, all right. All right. All right. So what are I you just, saying? What are you yeah. saying on the, on the Xbox 360 version? The 360 version I feel like I'm like $10 on. Um, I feel like I, I would <laughs> sacrifice a single trip to Chipotle <laughs> <laughs> to have this perfect dark experience. Um, I left the experience enjoying the game. I can look back at perfect dark and go like, yeah, if I'm playing the, the HD rare replay version or the 360 version, which is the same version. I mean, it's just, you can play it on Xbox one. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at it going like, yeah, I, I would consider $10 for for that experience. I'm really glad. I feel like Rare managed to really salvage this game 
in in the best possible way. Well, you know, that's I'm glad to hear you say these things because that was not your reaction to GoldenEye. You said it was going back on the shelf and you wouldn't be touching it for a long time. So I'm glad to hear that you have kinder thoughts about Perfect Dark because, well, you know, I... You know, I know that this is I'm I'm affected by nostalgia here, but it's good to hear that you, somebody who did not play this game at all and don't have any nostalgic feelings toward it, also feel like it was a good game that's worth playing. The N64 version is going back on the shelf, never to be touched. It's all <laughs> right. Goldeneye. You didn't have to pay anything for it. I got it for you. It was, yeah, it was, it was a it birthday was... present. You don't have to feel bad about owning it. It was a wonderful gift, and I'm glad that I can now uh be involved in the perfect dark conversation with some level of, of knowledge in a way that was actually enjoyable. Me too. I'm glad. Um all right, so what do you think uh what do you think this is going for on eBay? <laughs> Since oh, you bought see, a copy of it for I, me anyways. <laughs> I did buy a copy of you for it. So like it couldn't have been too expensive. I feel uh, I don't remember. I'm thinking maybe like twenty twenty dollars. Hmm uh, no, this one's going for around 15. 15. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. It's right in that range, you know, 14, 14, 15 dollars. Hey, that's uh, perfect. Yeah. The, uh, what about the PAL version? <laughs> oh, the PAL version. Uh, it actually, I think the PAL version had different art. Um, so, you know, I think all the to... versions have different art. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's gone for like $23. <laughs> no, that one's only for only going for fifteen. So it's like oh. it's like around the same price. Dang, as, there we go. We're, this is becoming North a trend. American. I know this it's is... a good trend. I like it. I'm a fan. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, rare replay. You can get a copy of that for like eight bucks. Dang. Well, that's the way to go. That's yeah. The way to go. Yeah. You know what's funny. I looked into GoldenEye because when we played the game, uh, it was around like $23 at the time, but that has jumped up like crazy and that's just under $40 right now. I don't know if because the quarantine, everyone's like Man. buying video games or whatever, but yeah, that one's averaging around 40 bucks now. So do yourself a huge favor and buy a copy. And just don't. Instead. $8 <laughs> or, for rare replay. That's the way to go. If you really or, want that 64 version, 15 bucks. The digital uh, Xbox version, whatever you can get on the Xbox store, you can just get the download of it for $10 and you can play it on 360 or Xbox One. If you don't have an Xbox One, but you still have a 360, you can just pay 10 bucks for it. Why would you, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, having it digitally is nice. Literally, Rare Replay is the only Xbox One game that I own, um, so it's always in the console, so it may as well be digital. But I'm saying (laughs) if, if it's only a $2 difference, or if it's cheaper to get Rare Replay, buy Rare Replay. It's got a whole bunch of games on there. Like we've already talked about um, the Battletoads games that are on there and uh, Battletoads Arcade and Jet Force Gemini, mm-hmm. which also gets a huge buff from being dual analog. Although I tried to play a little bit of that and um, it didn't go well. So I don't know. But <laughs> Rare Replay is a, is a good collection. Yeah, definitely if you have an Xbox One, it's it's worth picking up. Or it's on uh, it's on Game Pass if you have an Xbox One. Rare replays on Game Pass? Yeah. Oh, yeah. dang. Nice. Um, but if you don't, then pick up the 360 version. I'm saying $10, that's worth it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, for the HD version. However, for $15, $14, $15 for the N64 version, I'm calling that worthless. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, worthless every day of the week, but I think that the the 360 remaster of this game is a must play, actually, for retro Ooh. gamers, for like anybody who's like fond of of this game. It's like you have wow. to, or if you're curious about this game, like this is the version to play. Don't bother with the N64 version, um, unless you I don't want a know. headache. If any, if we've ever dropped a, this game is a must play. Other than NFL Blitz, one of the greatest. Well, games of all time. it's a must play if you're interested in it. <laughs> if you're predisposed I, towards Perfect Dark. <laughs> if you if you grew up as a fan of Goldeneye in any way and want to scratch that itch, man, pick up this game and and try it out. It's it'll it'll scratch that itch and more. Yeah. All right, my friend. All right. We uh we ready to uh to hit me with something that <laughs> I got something for you. I'm gonna I be miserable about. <laughs> I got one trivia question and then a fun fact. They both come from the same person here. This is from uh the Lechero thirty seven, which I think means the milkman. I'm I, <laughs> I took like a year and a half of Spanish. I'm pretty sure Lechero means milkman. Uh, so he asks or she. I'm guessing he because. It ends in O, and that would be Milkman. Which iconic gaming personality was included as a playable character in Perfect Dark's multiplayer? So which Mm. iconic gaming personality was included as a playable character in Perfect Dark's multiplayer? Was it A, Billy Mitchell, uh, world record holder on... uh, King Kong or Donkey Kong until he was stripped of his title. Uh, Is it B, (laughs) Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario and Zelda? Was it C, Alexei Pajitnov, the guy who made Tetris, or D, Masahiro Sakurai of Kirby and Smash Bros. fame? Which one of those four iconic gaming personalities was included as a playable character in Perfect Dark's multiplayer? Uh, What was uh, was C? C was Alexei Pajitnov, the guy who made Tetris. And now I want to just remind you, Dan, um, like I mentioned earlier, there's all of the different bodies and then the different heads. So you don't actually like have like the text of this person's name under them. They're just one of the heads that you can put on any body. Interesting. I didn't, man, I feel like I scrolled through most of the characters, but didn't scroll through most of the heads. Um, but I did read like a few different Wikipedias on Perfect Dark. And I'm thinking it's got to be C or D. I could be wrong. Uh, I usually am lately. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go with C. It was not, although that's a good guess just because of like Russia and the whole uh, James Bond taking place there. It was actually Miyamoto. Miyamoto's was head. It? You, can, you can find him in the game and, and wow. play as him. And along with this, actually, there's a little bit of a fun fact. I couldn't figure out how to put this into a trivia question, so it's just going to be a fun fact. that The Perfect Dark, the game was originally going to use the Game Boy camera to put your own face into the game so mm, you could run yeah. around and use your own face. But this game came out just a month or months after the Columbine tragedy. And so they decided that it wouldn't be a good idea to be able to put um, faces of other kids and stuff into the game when you're going to shoot them, um, which makes sense. Yep. And Rare Rare mm-hmm. has never officially said that that's why they removed that feature, but it's pretty obvious when you look at the timeline that that and the fact that it was cut very late 
that that is most likely the reason. Yeah, yeah, I saw that too. Probably, probably for the best, I guess. Probably, yeah, and it's there's probably a good reason that why no future uh, uh, first person shooter has included that because it would just be kind of weird. Like the whole idea of running around and shooting people in a video game is that it's in a video game. And I don't really, I wanted to shoot my brothers a lot when we were kids in <laughs> Perfect Dark and Goldeneye, but I, you know, I don't think that I would have actually liked to have murdered a character with their face. It would have been weird. <laughs> Plus, I feel like that would have just been like uh, a rallying point for the the people who accuse violent video games of causing real life violence. Oh, Yeah. And not so. to mention, like, the least Nintendo thing ever. Using two Nintendo products to <laughs> create something that's kind of dark and grim seems very anti-Nintendo. <laughs> oh, all right, my friend. Um, we have a new segment. We have a new segment. We have a new segment. Uh, we are going to start doing bounties now. <laughs> We're going to start doing what now? Bounties. Bounty, the quilted um, quicker picker upper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it will be fun to give some cool stuff away to people, Jordan. Let's do it. Um, and so, what we are going to start doing is every month we are going to run some kind of bounty. It'll be different. It's whatever we feel like doing. Um, and you guys, the listeners, can enter by completing whatever the bounty is and uh, get a really nice prize out of it nice. um, should you complete the bounty. Now, if you don't complete the bounty, your entry won't count. But, you know, if you do, you can win something cool. And the bounty for May um, is going to be a $50 Switch eShop gift card. $50? $50. Can I participate? (laughs) (laughs) I think how many burritos that could save me. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so this is going to run until the first episode releases in June. And then we will announce the winner on that episode. And then we will start a new bounty for June and so on and so forth. All right. So this first bounty is for longtime or astute listeners, Jordan. Ooh, okay. And, uh, okay, so here's what it is. There are two games that we make fun of a lot on this show. (laughs) (laughs) One of them is actually a franchise, while the other one is a specific entry in a franchise. If you send us an email or DM us via Twitter or Instagram with the name of either thing, we'll pick a random winner, and uh, they will get a $50 Switch eShop gift card. So you don't have to... You don't know, have to know both parts of it. You're just if you know one part no. of it, you can submit. You have to know both parts, one or the other, one um, or the other. Okay, and just send us a message with the correct answer, and you will be entered to win that that Switch eShop gift card. All right. So, which game or franchise do we make fun of a lot? And send it <laughs> to us. That's great. I like this. This will be fun. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think it is going to be fun and it'll be a, a good excuse to give some stuff away. So I've been trying to figure out how to weasel that into the show too. Awesome. So anyways, uh, Jordan, where, where can people find us? You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram. Both of those are at W I O W podcast. That's worth it or worthless podcast abbreviated. 
and uh, we post all sorts of gaming stuff, not just stuff about the podcast, but we celebrate game anniversaries and just share cool old ads and all sorts of stuff, and it's a lot of fun, so come jump on there, send us some comments, vote in our polls, and have a good time. And if you want to enter that, we have uh, that that bounty by email. We have worth it or worthless podcast at gmail.com if you don't feel like sending us a DM or following us on social media. That's also an option. Send us an email. Send us a dodo code. I don't know. Send us whatever you got. (laughs) Oh, all right, my friend. Do you have anything else before we move on to our music segment? I don't think so. I think that's going to be it for me. All right. Uh, This episode, we're going to close out with uh, a track from a guy named Yukio Kalio. Um, He works a lot with Vlambeer uh, of Nuclear Throne fame, and um, he did the soundtrack for a game called Minute, which is another game by one of the guys from Vlambeer. And this is actually a track from the game Luftrausers, and the song is called Luftrauser. It's a fun chiptune, and... I think you guys will like it. I'm excited to hear it. I've never heard this one. Uh, you can find this guy on Bandcamp, on Spotify. He's everywhere. Um, everything I've ever listened to from him, I like. <laughs> uh, so feel free to support him and check him out. The his All of his links will be in the description for the show. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. See you next time. Bye. Bye.